so many websites and biographies of you say um, your fashion's authority. Um, and I think it's true to say that your post-show reviews are probably the most read in the world. Well, I think the word, word authority sounds a bit like a headmistress. I don't think I like that at all. You know, I, I have a lot of fun with fashion and have done for a very long time. I think really authority is a very polite way of saying she's been around so long, I can't believe it. I'm interested if when you're watching a show or you're seeing a garment, is it, do you know straight away if you like it or if you don't? Is it an immediate decision that you make? It's quite complicated, you know, when you're reviewing a show because unless you're talking about someone who suddenly breaks on the scene, which is very exciting, you know, someone like Christopher Kane suddenly arriving, but you're mostly talking about people who've been showing for a long time. I mean, some of those designers in their 70s, after all, I've probably seen about 120 at least of their collections, at least. And so you're looking at two things, you know, you're looking to see whether it's a sort of a good version of what they do because let's face it, after X number of years, most people don't change that much. And you're also looking at it as part of a sort of broad river of what is being done. And if there's a little tribute, tributary, can't say that word, um, and there's another little thing that they're coming up with, something that's new, something that refreshes it. But inevitably, the most exciting thing is when someone appears and you just feel they've got some little spark. In, in terms of you actually deciding if you like it, is that something that comes very quickly? I, I suppose maybe it depends on, the, on each collection. I'm not sure if it's, you know, is it, some, is it something you go away and think about a great deal? No time to reflect. You write it and you do it. And I mean, I'm not talking about since the blogosphere came up, but I mean always, I always have had to write incredibly fast because, you know, we've just feed it into the paper. But in a way, I, I think you're coming up with something quite important here when you keep asking me, do I like it? And that's not exactly my judgment, because I think that you can dislike something very much and have almost feel it's quite abhorrent, but still think it's brilliant. And I remember when Prada in the 90s was doing the ugly aesthetic. I mean, that's not me personally, I don't mean I cover myself in pink ribbons, but you know, I always feel that, that Marie Antoinette's home at Versailles would do fine for me, you know, with put in the computer and it'd be perfect. So you can imagine that those Prada colours, everything about it, the whole sense of deliberate ugliness was quite, it was shocking to everybody, but I felt quite antipathetic to it. And yet, on the other hand, I could see immediately that this was brilliant. This was something really fresh, something new. It was so powerful and still is. What are your feelings on the pace of fashion today? Because I would say in the last couple of years, for me, these sort of two new seasons have popped up. You've got pre-collections, which they registered in the shops, but it was never something that I saw people really writing about, or, and certainly not think people going and reviewing the shows. Well, you'll be totally shocked to know that I've never reviewed a resort show, or whatever they're called. I mean, perfectly simple. I, I can't spend three and a half weeks in New York looking at these shows. We don't have the budget, the time. And also, you know, I, I find it aggravating because I think that if the point is trying to be made that as well as doing our fantastic show that's going to knock your socks off, we also do these plodding clothes or interesting clothes or different clothes. I find it all a little bit of a cheat. I think the most clever thing is to be able to do a Balenciaga and distill into a very few number of, out of um, looks something that you're trying to say. I think that is much smarter than showing 
don't know how many collections a year. But when you when you talk about changes, I really do think that over the next when you talk about changes, I think over the next ten years there'll probably be as many as there have been in the last ten years. But it's been an extraordinary change, starting of course with digital cameras. I mean the instant images, obviously. But so much more than that, you know, so much more because of the corporatization, do you think that's a word, of fashion, the idea that the corporate world is sort of organising these designers and they're now supposed to be not just designing the clothes for heaven's sake, but, you know, going off and doing these trunk shows and personal appearances and tweeting and this, that and the other. I don't know how they find the time to design. Something I would really like to talk about, which is a bit of a volte face from that actually, but it kind of links in, is the modern idea of luxury because you, with the International Herald Tribune, you host the luxury conferences that they've been doing for the past decade, mm. I think. Um, I'm interested, first of all, how in, in observing and kind of discussing luxury over that time, how do you feel that luxury has changed over the past 10 years? I think the most important thing about luxury today is that somebody finds a new word for it. I mean, to me, luxury has started to become a real no-no word. It sort of represents the worst kind of things, the whole sort of footballers' wives' culture. And I think it would be great if somebody could define, to me, luxury is something private. It's not at all flashy stuff. It's not at all that telling everybody that you've got five Birkin bags. It's much more something that gives you personal pleasure. But I know this is not a very um, good definition of luxury today. To me, it's all quite complex because so many countries, like the Chinese, for example, who are discovering luxury again. I mean, it's not like in the days of the Forbidden City that they didn't know what luxury was, but they've now rediscovered, as the Russians have, about luxury. And it's, you know, it's something really that it's about the feel and the touch and the way it's made. And it is interesting to me that a lot of brands now are starting to come back to the idea of actually telling people on the websites or in general that its craftsmanship is an incredibly important part of luxury. I mean, we all know that anyone can copy a bag or a pair of shoes, whatever. So the idea that something is beautifully and skillfully made, I think that's a very important part of it. But when we do these conferences, you know, we have different themes. In Berlin, we did techno-luxury and looking about how technology and luxury, how they could meet rather than be masses apart from each other. Um, this year, we're going to go to Brazil, and it's hot luxury, meaning that the country is hot. And it certainly is a moment then when people are embracing luxury and finding it very exciting. Whereas there's a certain, to me, there's a certain world weariness about luxury. Uh, as a word in the general European culture. So I think different countries and different peoples are at different stages when they think of luxury. I mean, my idea of luxury is very much a sensual thing. It's something that feels wonderful to wear, something that gives you some sort of often quite a secret pleasure, not something that you have to shout about to other people. We've looked at the present, but I would like to talk a little bit about your past. Um, and I would love to ask a, a general question, um, which is something that I'm always interested to hear, which is when, can you remember when your interest in fashion first came about? Such a shame I didn't bring with me the little newspaper I made at the age of five that my mother still has, 
And needless to say, there's a little person in there who I'm sure was meant to be on a fashion page. Now, I, seriously, I've, I've been interested in fashion as long as I can remember. And it certainly grew when I was at university, you know, definitely I felt. And, but before that, you know, I mean, I come from so long ago that there wasn't really a gap year as such then. But the year before I went up to Cambridge, I went to the Chambord Syndical School in Paris. So I actually do know how to make clothes. I very wisely realised that it was much easier to write about them than to make them. I'm always interested as to whether fashion is really talking about its own time or is sort of looking back to the past. I don't think you can ever separate yourself entirely from the past. When I say you, I mean the world. Mm. And sometimes I think it's good and good to have input. Certainly towards the end of a century, I think you always get that slightly nostalgic feeling of looking back. Don't you think that's quite over now? I mean, I don't feel that there are so many clothes around now that look like they were taken from somebody's closet or bought. In, you know, in stores, having old things. I, we're quite, it's rather more directional to more futuristic now, I would say. I don't want to be hideously tacky, but I'd like to look back a bit into, into your past, um, because I was reading that you first started covering couture in the 60s um, as an assistant to Prudence Glynn, which is kind of an amazing time. How important was that for you? How, how do you think that shaped you as a journalist? Well, of course, looking back now, I think it was very uh, significant because I, I did really understand what haute couture was in the days when the people sitting in the front row were neither paid to be there nor asked to be there nor photographed because they were there. They were actually in genuine clients. So I saw all that, taking it in. But, you know, how embarrassing is this to admit that I saw Coco Chanel. She's this little shriveled woman sitting on the steps with her little hat at Chanel. And the, I thought the collection was god-awful boring. And I, you know, I, I didn't sit there at all thinking, I'm so fortunate to see Coco Chanel. It's probably one of her last collections. Because you don't. You know, nobody thinks that when they're 21. It's only looking back you think, I was so lucky to see it. I was interested, when did you realise... Uh, you said that you, you've had the interest in fashion for a long time. When did you realise that, that you wanted to write about fashion? I suppose I wanted to be a journalist before I wanted to write about fashion. I mean, when I was at, at Cambridge um, University, there was a, the new, local newspaper, not the local newspaper, the university newspaper was called Varsity. And, um, you know, you've got to think back an awfully long time here. And this was when there was the first woman everything in that, you know, there was, the glass ceiling was in so firmly in place that people really were breaking it almost every day in the 1960s. And so I was the first woman editor of Varsity. I mean, who cares that I was a woman? But at the time, it sort of seemed significant. And then, you know, I wrote about general things and I edited it. And um, then I went on to enjoy writing. And I joined the Times. I was a trainee. They don't do that anymore. But I was a trainee junior reporter at the Times as soon as I left, five days after I left Cambridge. And so I wrote in general. And then I was... Um, I wrote, we, we founded the first woman's page that the Times had ever had, a page devoted to women. And it seemed wonderful at the time, and I wrote general things for that. And then I was sort of headhunted, really, by Charles Winter, the father of Anna Winter, who was the editor, long-term editor of the Evening Standard, an absolutely brilliant editor. I'm sure that's where Anna gets her skills from. 
And he sort of found me and put me, really I think I was only about 23, as um, fashion editor of the Evening Standard. And it, it was considered that I wouldn't be now, but then it was considered I was incredibly young to be in this post, blah, blah. And that's how I started, and I was very interested, and it was a very fun time, you know, it was the, must have been by then, sort of late 60s, early 70s, and so fashion was a huge thing. And that's how it all started. I suppose it relates back then, and, and probably more now so. Um, what, for you, makes good fashion? Good fashion? I don't know if I want good fashion. I think good girls are rather boring, aren't they? And good boys, really. I think what you want is something that's got a powerful message. That's what you're looking for. And although you don't realise it at the time you're seeing it, it's also a message that's telling you something about what's going on in the world. So, you know, everything, when you look back, everything's always earlier than you think. I remember those Thierry Mugler um, big shoulders, and I had always thought that they were, you know, sort of 80s, but when you look back, it was about 1975 or something. I've probably got all the figures wrong, but it's certainly earlier than you think. And of course, you know, you can go back and analyse it all now and say Claude Montano and all those things. It was women standing shoulder to shoulder, well, I can't say that, women standing shoulder to shoulder to men in the workplace. And that, that meant that the wide shoulders that had been there in the war when women took up men's jobs because they were fighting. So these things were both great fashion statements, but they were also quite deep statements about what was going on in the, in the wider world. And certainly, you know, with Margaret Thatcher, I'm looking forward to seeing this new movie about Maggie, but certainly the way that she dressed, she was so like a caricature of a power woman. And all these things to me are interesting and they make good or great fashion because the person who's doing it, I'm sure designers don't sit down and say this. I'm sure nobody has ever sat down and said, women are getting very powerful out there, I'm going to do big shoulders, or, or, you know, all my friends are gay, so I'm just going to show pink sweaters and, and sort of girly clothes for men. I mean, that is such a stupid way to imagine it. It's so much more something that people instinctively feel. And, you know, I'm not a great creative person, but I think the designers whether they're fashion designers or fine artists, they are deeply creative people who feel something inside and that's why they do what they do. Do you think that there would be a time when you would become tired of fashion? Oh, everyone always asks me this question. This is in a bit of code, isn't it? When are you going to retire? <laughs> you know, I'm never going to get bored with fashion. There, there may be a moment, for all I know, when I'm just physically overwhelmed by the effort because, you know, they certainly aren't making it any easier in terms of having to get here and there and all these shows ever earlier, ever longer fashion weeks. But I, am, I will always be, always, I believe, inspired and fascinated by fashion. And even if I weren't going to the shows, I would still look eagerly at everything that's going on. You know, fashion is really something that's in your blood. And while the bloodstream's there, it's always going to keep on flowing. 